Grab your Bibles if you brought one or if you have an app that can get you onto God's Word. And we're going to be this week beginning in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. There is no shame if you have to use the table of contents to get to the book of Ecclesiastes that's in the Old Testament. And I'm giving this message this weekend the title, Becoming Anti-Fragile. I want to talk to you about how to become anti-fragile. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 12 says this, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is, say it with me, not quickly broken, which of course is uh, what we've taken as the, the title for this collection of messages. The devil would have you to be quickly broken, easily broken. The devil would, if he can't talk you out of having faith, want you to have a fragile faith, a weak faith, a fickle faith, a fair weather faith, the kind of faith that would have you rushing out to the store to buy a 49ers jersey, right? You're all of a sudden just gung-ho. Oh, I've always been, I've always been a, a big Chiefs fan, right? It's like, wait, were you a big Packers fan last week? And Nope. Is that a Green Bay Packers tattoo on your arm? Nope, nope. Big 49ers fan. Always loved that. Jerry Rice, right? It's like, hmm, that, he hasn't played for a while. Um, but they're winning, so got to jump on that bandwagon. And, uh, and the enemy would love for you to be the kind of a, a follower of Jesus, the kind of a, a Christian that is only in it for what you can get out of it. And so, so long as God's blessing you, great. I'm on Team Jesus, y'all, right? But the moment it gets tough, the moment it gets difficult, the moment there's any pushback or, or difficulty or opposition, then it's like, pfft, for real? I follow you, and this is how you treat me? The enemy would love for you to wake up every day and basically give God a trial, a hearing. All right, gonna, this is a trial to see if you get to continue to be my God. What have you done for me lately? That would be what the enemy would love. And, and he, he, he nags at us. He, 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 he just he digs in with these little lies. Like, if God loved you, would he really let you suffer? How can there be a God when you face this kind of, of heart? You're right, you say. I can't, there must not be. And we throw up our hands and go, I guess there must not be a God. Or if there is a God, he must not be loving. Or if he is loving, he must not be all powerful. And we walk away and Satan's like, yes. Because his agenda would be for you to be fragile, fickle, fair weather in your faith. God wants you to have a faith that's rooted and grounded, a faith that's established, a faith that's robust, a faith that's mature, a faith that, to put it succinctly, is not quickly broken. Nassim Taleb wrote a book, and he called it Anti-Fragile. I came across it and just loved it. I was like, I just need to know everything about this. And to be completely honest with you, he's a lot smarter than I will ever be, and so much of the book I didn't understand. But what I did take away as he talked about economics and things that are way above my pay grade was this concept of, of fragility on one end and anti-fragility on the other end. 
and something that's robust in the middle. He explains it this way. If you're fragile and life hits you hard, you break. If you're resilient and life hits you hard, you withstand more, and then you eventually break. Being anti-fragile, on the other hand, means when life hits you hard, you actually get stronger. A wind extinguishes a candle, but fuels a fire. When, when you're anti-fragile, y'all, you know that a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. So you're not throwing up your hands and walking out on God, assuming he isn't there or doesn't care. On the, on the other opposite end of that spectrum, you're not just surviving through it. You're, on the other hand, getting something out of it, growing better in the midst of it. Anti-fragile. He can huff and he can puff all he wants. He ain't blowing this house down. He's turning my bonfire into a forest fire, my faith into a raging inferno of dedication. The more he tries to blow me down, the more I turn that into fuel. Y'all, I'm using the opposition I'm getting. I'm popping it into my mouth as though it were a power bar or a Lara bar. Daniel died approved snack. I'm turning it into a carrot stick and a bell pepper with some hummus on it in Jesus' name. And I just want a Diet Coke. That's all I want. I know they're bad for me. I love this idea because I think sometimes we settle for far less than God wants for us, or we just hope to survive. We just sort of accept that hanging in there is enough. Like, well, I haven't been destroyed. I haven't. I'm not an atheist. That's, I guess, a starting place. And every time I say that, I, I do want to say, if you're here and you are an atheist or you would identify as agnostic, thanks for being here. We're not ostracizing you with that language or in any way trying to infer or insinuate that we're better than you. But, but to say that, that we as Jesus followers, when we go through hardship, are, are simply surviving, I think, is much less than what God has for you. For he doesn't want you to simply survive, he really does want you to thrive. He doesn't want you to be fragile, hanging on by a thread, just one bad day away from failure, because that's not strength. That's not power. The Greek playwright in the year 400 BC, Euripides, put it this way. He says, how can you call yourself a great man or think yourself a great man when the first accident that comes along can wipe you out completely? God doesn't want you to be fragile. He wants you to be anti-fragile. He wants you to not just be robust, but to actually be able to get hit and become better, to become stronger, experience more glory, more power, to be like Joseph, get put in a pit, but come out as the prime minister, believe in God the whole way through, never compromising. You can sell me as a slave. You can lie about me. You can forget about me. I'm going to still trust God, still love people, still do my best, still have a sweet spirit, still hang on to the dream, never get jaded, never think that I stand as God's judge, but far from it, the other way around. The classic example of something that's anti-fragile, of course, would be the mythical hydra. You cut one of its heads off, what does it do? It grows two in response. It just gets better, just gets bigger. I found a more contemporary example when I came across a while back a story of a, 
a football coach who was meeting with the recruiter who was going to be going around the country, going to different schools and events and, you know, looking at, looking at candidates they had come across. And, and the coach was just kind of going over with him who he wanted him to be focusing in on, you know, what he, what he wanted to round out the team. And the coach said uh, to the recruiter, you know the kind of player who gets hit and gets knocked down on the football field and doesn't get up? Once they're knocked down, it's like, I'm out. I need to, I'm hurt. I need an ice bath, right? He, he goes, yeah, yeah, I know. He goes, I don't, want, I don't want a player like that. He goes, got it, got it. You don't want a player who gets knocked down and can't get back up. And the coach continued and said, well, you know the player who gets knocked down gets back up, but if they get hit again, then, then they're down. They're down for the count. He goes, he goes, he goes yeah, I, I, know, I know that. He goes, you don't want that kind of player either, do you? He goes, no. He, the coach continued and said, well, you know, the, you know the kind of player who gets knocked down and can get back up, and then they can get knocked down, they can, they can, they can smash mouth it, they can get back up again? <laughs> and they can get knocked down another time, and they'll still get back up. And, and the, the, you know, the recruiter stopped him. He cut him off. He said, I, I get it. I, I understand. You want the kind of player who no matter how many times they get knocked down, blood, sweat, tears, they'll get back up. And the coach said, no. I want you to find me whoever this guy is who's knocking everybody down. That's what he said. Come on, that's what God wants for you. He wants you to not only survive the hits that you take, he wants you to make some damage on the enemy's territory. He doesn't want you just to hold your ground. He wants you to take some ground. And I think so often we just, we just are in this defensive mode. I'm just, I'm just coping. I'm just, I'm just hanging in there. Where, where God wants you to actually go start knocking some stuff down in Jesus' name. And when you get hit, to grow in the midst of it and to become more powerful as a result of it. I see this in Paul's life. Paul the Apostle, who wrote to the Romans, and he said in chapter 8, uh, that I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, you know this passage, nor nor things present or even things to come. These are the things that we, we either worry about or obsess over. Anxieties because of what's to come, and guilt and, and fear and shame over what's in the past, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that not resilience? None of those things can take us out. Resilience. But he didn't stop there. He also, in verse 28, said, and we know that all things, what things? Height, depth, angels, demons, fears, insecurities, shames, all the stuff that comes at us, life, death, all that stuff, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You see, we're not just going to be resilient. We're going to become anti-fragile so that the roaring wind actually increases the power of our flame. He said the same thing to the Corinthian church when in he, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he talked about verse 8 and 9, how we're hard pressed, but we, we don't get crushed. We're perplexed because, man, crazy crap happens, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken, struck down. We're not destroyed. What is he describing? He's describing resilience. And listen, you can't get to anti-fragility without resilience. So there has to be that. That's a crucial step. You, you, of course, can't be wiped out by the enemy who seeks to come against you, to lie to you, to steal from you, to essentially 
murder you. All of those things have to be in place with, with resilience. But Paul didn't stop there. He continued in verse 17, our light affliction, all that hard stuff, which is just for a moment when you compare it to eternity, is actually working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Not only are we able to be pushed on every side, but not crushed, knocked down, but not destroyed, to be perplexed, but to not be in despair. But every one of those hard things, every one of those dark days, every one of those brutal acts actually serves to help us understand more of God. I have more of a weight of glory. I actually am better because of it. I would never have picked to go through it, but because God allowed it, I faced it with worship. I faced it with perspective. And on the other side of it, I'm actually better. I'm actually fitter. I'm actually faster. I actually know more of God's grace. He has revealed himself to me in the midst of the fiery trial. This is how we can do what James said that seems so bizarre when he said it. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Wait, what? My brethren, count it all joy when your life falls to pieces. Now, that doesn't make sense unless you know that the testing of your faith produces patience and all of these great things that cascade out as a result of having patience. The point is, when trials come, our nature would be to go, that's terrible. Hate that. Where are you, God? Ah! <laughs> and instead, we're to go, I can't get stronger without weight being stacked on it. I can't build up muscle without my muscle being torn down. If God allowed it, I'll praise him in the midst of it. He's got a plan, and I'll be better on the back end of it. So where Job's wife said when his life fell to pieces, curse God and die, he clearly has abandoned you. He instead bowed his knee and said, you give and you take away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Though you slay me, I will follow you. I will trust you all the way to the end. If you allowed it, I don't know why, you got a plan in the midst of it. So I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to worship you. Come on, I want to be the kind of Christian in 2020 that no matter what God allows my way, I'm going to worship even when it confuses me, confounds me, even when it runs contrary to what I think God's character should be like. I'm going to trust that he's doing a good job running the universe and that when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, you did all things well. Yeah, I wouldn't have changed a thing. Wouldn't have changed one thing because you are God in heaven. I'm, I'm here on earth. What do I know? What do I know? You have perspective and you have a proven track record of bringing goodness out of bad things. You're like, what, what do you mean? I mean, the cross. The cross is where Jesus' life ended so ours could begin. And if he, on that bad day, could bring about the salvation of my soul, the forgiveness of my sin, and do the same for you, through the death of his son, he would bring many sons and daughters to glory, then how can I face any bad thing in my life and not quickly assume God's going to bring good out of this. He's got a plan. He's going to bring good out of my bad. So when I face bad, I have a robust theology of suffering. It's not just, well, God's good. God, God's good all the time. All the time, God's good. All right, where's the goodness? Where's the jelly beans and Skittles? 
I mean, I do believe in a God of favor. I do believe in a God who wants to bless us. But when we face difficulty as we follow him, we're not quick to assume he must not be good. We're going to assume he wants to bring good out of what's bad presently and that he is doing it right now. So what does this look like, becoming anti-fragile? Well, it looks a whole lot like developing a root system, a root system. Things that don't have root get scorched by the sun. And that, according to Jesus's parable of the sower and the seeds, is one of the outcomes the devil would love to see in your life. He loves emotional commitments that are not followed by an understanding of God's character and the depth of what he's doing that would lead to a mature trust in him. Uh, a, a faith that's not skittish, a faith that's not always feeling like I, I need to bolt or I need to run, a faith that learns to have the relaxed confidence that comes when you know God's in charge and he's doing a really good job running the universe. And when you have that confidence that comes from the cross, the scripture says, how would we think that God, who did not hold back his son but freely gave his son to us, would not then freely give us all things? There's nothing more precious in the universe than Jesus. Come on, mom. Come on, dad. Your son. Your son. He gave his son for you and for me. If he gave his son, then anything else we face is of less value than the son. So we can trust him in that. So, so when we have that kind of a faith, we, we don't have to be uptight as we follow him. We don't have to be fear-based as we follow him. We get to just, just be like, yeah, dad, you got this. Hey, father, you, you know best. So. Like, if you're not worried, I'm not worried. Look at him. He seems all right. All right, we're good. We good? Jesus is like, yeah, I'm, I'm still king. I still reign. Like, yeah. the Psalms says he sat at the flood. That's the worst time on this earth. He, but he was seated. He never stood up. It wasn't like, oh, no. If, he, if he's good, I'm good, and we're good. Yeah. So, so what is becoming anti-fragile like? It's putting roots down into God's character. Roots down into his revelation. Roots down into who he is. Roots down into, into the essence of Christ. That's foundational. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 7. This was a story of two families. And they both built houses. Verse 24, everyone who hears my teaching and applies it to his life can be compared to a wise man who built his house on an unshakable foundation. When the rain fell and the flood came, with fierce winds beating on his house, it stood firm because of its strong foundation. But everyone who hears my teaching and does not apply it to his life can be compared to a foolish man who built his house on sand. When it rained and rained and the flood came, with wind and waves beating upon his house, it collapsed and was swept away. These two families, both living in beautiful houses, and from the outside, you wouldn't know the difference between them. And they both had the Chip and Joanna Gaines shiplap everywhere. It was just, oh, what is this, Magnolia? It's great. Best thing I've ever seen in my life. And, uh, and yet, the foundation that you couldn't see, because this, by the way, was spoken in the area surrounding the Sea of Galilee. And in the reading I've done, I've uncovered something interesting about the sand around the Sea of Galilee, that during times of drought, it would harden and almost look like rock. So if you were new to the area, you could be foolish enough and deceived enough into thinking this was rock because it was hard, hardened sand. 
So you might build a house there that would look beautiful until moisture came, until rain cycles came. And as water returned, this erosion took place. And all of a sudden now, it was revealed you were not on rock. You were built on something flimsy. You were built on something that couldn't hold the weight of your life. And so now the fall, and now the crash, and now that the tide has, has gone out, we find out who is swimming with no bathing suit, as Warren Buffett once put it. To think about, about all of a sudden now this, this house collapsing and the devastation of it. That contrasted to the man and his family who had the, the same beautiful home, but built on the rock. And the winds came and the rain came, but they were strong and robust and made it through it. That's what God wants for us, to have a root system, to have strength to us, that we were not knocked over easily. And that comes only from following Christ, not just hearing his word, both men, Jesus said, that were likened unto these families, heard God's word. The man whose house fell over heard the word, i.e., went to church, i.e., knew some verses, i.e., was a, a casual cultural follower. I love God. But he said, this man heard the teaching and didn't apply it, didn't do anything about it. The power is never in the hearing. The power always is in the doing. Yeah. It's not just knowing. It's applying. Yeah. You, you can't just know about God. You got to know God. It's got to affect your heart. It's got to leak into your life and bleed and spill over into the essence of your, of your soul. That's a root system that can bring you through the worst life can throw at you. And not only are you not crushed, you become better in the midst of it because God shows you things in the fire that you wouldn't have been, been able to discover any other way because he is near to those who are brokenhearted. He, he comes close. And, and that's why in this, every time I've ever said it, it almost sounds insensitive, especially if you're going through something. But, but hear this from someone who's gone through hardship and has experienced this firsthand. It is an incredible honor to be trusted with pain. And as I think about the, the hard days my family's walked through and, and, and all that, and all that God has revealed to us and the ways he's been near to us and, and proven his, his, his nearness to us in the midst of those hard days, I would want everything God did in our hearts through that if I could have it any other way. I would want those things. But I know that there is no way to know what God has shown to us, the grace he's given to us in the midst of our worst nightmares except by walking through those things and, and seeing God right there with us every single step of the way. All right, so a root system. Well, how do you get a root system? Well, you got to put some, some key measures into place in your life. I'm just going to give you a couple with the, the time that remains. I actually wrote out a list of like 15, 15 ways to unlock. Maybe it should be a whole series on the system. I don't, I don't know if that'll ever happen. But, but let me give you a couple ways to make sure you have a good root system in your life. Jot this down, buddy system. You can build your root system by improving your buddy system and utilizing the buddy system. Remember the field trips? Teacher can't keep track of 80 of you. It's like, who's your buddy? Your buddy's this person over here. All right, you, you keep track of each other. Right? Everyone got their buddy? Who doesn't have their buddy? Billy, right? <laughs> Billy's like, I don't know. Johnny was here a minute ago. Now he's gone, right? But someone to report to the teacher. Billy was gone, right? You, you need Johnny to be able to speak up for Billy. Otherwise, Billy's gone, but no one's looking for him because she's doing this head count. And we know how that went in Home Alone. You know, it's like the next door neighbor was un undoing the yo-yo, and it messed everything up, you know? And, 
And so we need to rely on the buddy system. God wants your life to, to have the benefit of other people looking for you, more eyes on your soul than just your own. Ever since Jesus rose, this is heavy, ever since he rose, his followers have known we come together in large groups for corporate worship and the power of the congregation and the I'm not alone factor. Sometimes you can feel alone at work or at school following Jesus and you come together with other people. Oh, there's other people that love Jesus too. That's cool. And he's uniquely uh, present in the midst of a gathering like this in a way that, that you know, you, you could experience him on your own in your devotional time or scripture reading time or prayer time that's special and powerful and should not be missed out on. But is not there something about a moment like this where it's like, man, I just sense God here. He's in our midst. He's doing something. It's beautiful. It's, it's unmistakable. What is it? It's the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ reflected through his body, through his bride. And, and that's great. But guess what? It's not enough. Because the church, ever since Jesus rose from the dead, didn't just gather in settings like this. They also got together in smaller groups, right. in homes, usually. In, in public places sometimes, and they would do life together. And the chance that, that you have to have a group of six people, eight people, 12 people, we saw it in the video, just sitting in the living room, looking at your notes from the weekend. All right, how, how, how's it going for you in this? And what stuck out to you? And how can I pray for you? And what's hard right now? Actually, I'm really struggling, and I'm really angry, and I'm really crazy. It's like, bro, me too. Ah. Ugly cry, right? And, and, and just that chance to, to get a text that week. Hey, you were telling me this, and I just want to pray for you. God put you on my heart. Here's a word from God. Here's a, here's a verse I came across. I got your back. As you're going into that, that conversation with your spouse, asking for forgiveness, I, I'm praying for you. I specifically had a thought. You came to my mind. That, do you have that in your life? Are there people positioned? Who knows your garage code? Who, if the worst happened, could be in your house and get the thing you need to bring it to the hospital because all of a sudden this happened. You need that in your life. You need people praying for you, caring. You need to rely on the buddy system. It'll help you build a root system that'll bring you through trials. Bring what, one person you deal with a, a, a big attack from the devil, you might get taken out. Having a friend that's got your back, that's good. But how about two? How about 10? How about 12? How about you get you in a fresh life group and have people around you? Finances are hard. Marriage is crazy. Having kids and raising them, ah, right? All the stuff and all the, all the just normal junk of, of being human. And to have people around you is so very important. The buddy system. The New York Times uh, recently published the shocking impact of loneliness. They said that people are 50% more likely to die prematurely if they live lonely, as opposed to those who are in healthy social relationships. But in this digital age, where all of our connections are on Facebook and a mile wide and inch deep, and we're all trying to impress each other with, here's my life on LinkedIn, here's my life on Facebook, here's my life on Instagram. Good Lord, if I see one more Dolly Parton challenge, But to be real and to be vulnerable and to be able to, to have the buddy system. Secondly, sound system. You want you a root system? You got to crank up your sound system. Yeah. It can be Sonos. It can be Bose. It can be whatever you want. You just need to make sure it's turned up to 10 when you need it. Yeah. And what I'm talking about, of course, is, is there being a soundtrack in your life of praise and worship. Yeah. 
that you, like the, the Bible says, are singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. It's powerful. We, in week two of this series, talked about how Jehoshaphat, this king, he had an enemy coming at him. It was three armies coming together as this evil mutant army, like in Ninja Turtles, these gross, creepy animals coming at ah, and, and what did he do? He said, yeah, we're going to get the soldiers doing their thing. But you know what? We're going to give ourselves over to fasting and prayer. And we're going to send out some singers ahead of the soldiers. We want a worship song going out before us. We want, we want praise to go before us. Why? Because he knew what you need to know. Praise unlocks power. God works through altering and shifting the atmosphere by the song of praise, by the exalting of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we praise God in heaven, it changes things on earth. Not always your circumstances, but always your heart. Always you. You become a different version of yourself. You might go back to your situation. It looks exactly the same, but you're different. So now you're seeing things differently. Paul knew this. Acts chapter 16, this Paul who developed resilience, this Paul who became anti-fragile, you hit him, you cut a head off, boink, boink, he's got more heads, unbelievable. This Paul and his friend Silas are preaching and healing and helping, and they get arrested for no good reason. They get beaten, they get thrown into a dungeon, they get locked up in the stocks. And what does it say they did? Verse 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Hey, is your back hurt? My back hurts too. Sing a little louder. They raised up a hallelujah in that prison cell. And what happened? God answered. He obviously liked their praise. The other prisoners were listening too, by the way. When you praise God in your situation, when you come to church ready to worship, when you don't have your hands in your pockets, but you're really ready to give your, your all to God, it changes the atmosphere for those sitting beside you, sitting behind you. And what happened? The earthquake happened, and it unlocked the, 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 the doors and opened them up. The foundations of the prison were shaken, verse 26, and everyone's chains were loosed. It was so powerful of a worship service, it unlocked the feet of people. People who weren't even singing, they just were in the vicinity. I'm telling you what God could do if we unleash the sound of praise. God will break stuff off the people near you. It'll have to be like at SeaWorld. We'll have to have a sign around you that says, Soak Zone. You get up in here, you're going to get free. You get up in here, you're going to get happy. You get up in here, you're going to get blessed. It's just going to ricochet praise. It's going to... It's like collateral damage. It's just it wasn't even intended. It's like, God, I feel free because I got next to you. And, and you were singing such praise. I just got a lift from your spirit. Isn't it amazing when just the Holy Spirit's upon your life and there's just this, this, this habit, this, this attitude, and, and, and altering the, the trajectory of your day by inserting praise in it intentionally, singing and making melodies in your hearts to God, incorporating worship into your devotional time, being intentional on a stress-filled day that you get you some Fresh Life worship on Spotify, that you're cranking up some, some Hillsong when you need it, that you know, man, I'm going to this crazy one. I need me some, some hot mess praise. Like, you know that one song, right? It's like, yeah, it could be whatever you need it to be. I, I put my son to, to bed. I sing to him one of my favorite worship songs from the 1980s. I, I sing, Lord, I lift your name on high. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay from the cross to the grave. I mean, I, I, a couple times 
I'm serious. He's out. And maybe just out of sympathy or pity or something. But, but I'm telling you, I want that sound of praise so thick in his room. I want Christ to be exalted in my home. I, I just, I know I need it. Oh, you're so strong. Actually, I know how weak I am. That's why I need God's praise altering the atmosphere in my selfish, little, easily worried, easily frightened heart. Something happens when you unlock worship. Something happens when you learn to give God praise no matter what you're facing. It changes who you are. Get you a sound system. Maybe you need just a bigger woofer. Feel that base. It'll build you a great root system. Jesus, the night he was arrested, before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, but after he left the upper room, the Bible says, along with his disciples, he led them in a hymn. How precious that is. Did Jesus need it? I don't know. Maybe he was just modeling it teaching us how to respond. He was about to go to death. We know he was agitated in his humanity, so much so that he was about to sweat great drops of blood. But he got great comfort from singing a hymn to God. And so will you. When you have God's song in your mouth, it will put steel inside your spine. It'll cause that wolf to rise up inside of you that God wants there to be. If you want a root system, you got to tap into the buddy system and install a sound system. And then and we'll close here. See your whole life as a part of a solar system. A solar system. A solar system is, is fundamentally objects that are in orbit around a greater heavenly body. Come on, that's what God wants your life to be like. Let's be objects in orbit around a greater heavenly body. That is to say that we're not the sun. You're not the sun. I'm not the sun. None of us are the brightest thing around. None of, none of us are the biggest thing around. We're not the most important thing. What am I trying to say when I say, well, let's be a part of a solar system? I'm trying to say that Jesus Christ is the one who's glorious. He's the one who should be given all fame, all power, all majesty. Everyone will bow their knee at the mentioning at the last day of the name of Jesus Christ. His name is power. His name can save. It's the only name given. And so it's the name that we celebrate. And we say, I'm glad to be a planet. I'm happy to be a moon. I'm an object in motion around something that develops gravity. I'm an object in motion about something that keeps everything spinning. Thank you, God, for doing a great job running the universe. I'm happy to be a planet. I'm happy just to be a little moon going around, a little ring around this, this thing, because you are the one in the center. You are the one who Colossians says is the image of the invisible God. You are the firstborn Jesus over all creation. By you, all things were created in heaven and stuff on earth too. Things that are visible and things that are invisible. If there's a throne, if there's dominion, if there's principality or power, it was created through you and for you, through you, with your power, but also for you to bring you praise. I'm saying every planet, every sunset, every whale, every 
Grand Canyon. I'm telling you, it's all for the majesty and the renown of Jesus Christ. You were created to bring God glory. You were created to reflect his fame. You were built to worship. It's in you. And that's why you resonate with, with music, all music. Because the Bible says, as God created the world, the angels sang. It's almost as though God was humming. He was whistling while he worked. Why do we, why do we respond so viscerally to music? Why is there such an emotional reaction? It's a part of our past. It's, it's baked into the essence of, of, the, of how God made this world. And the praise that will extend and unfurl on into eternity in heaven will be unending. The question is, right now, will we join the ultimate symphony? Will we take our reed instrument or our wind instrument or our brass instrument, will we take part in the ultimate masterpiece production that is the ceaseless praise God receives from all of his creation that even now is bringing him glory and declaring his majesty day unto day. They utter his name. They give him glory. They praise his name. He is, verse 17, before all things. And in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. The key to having a solid root system is seeing yourself as a part of a solar system, existing to spin around a heavenly body whose name is Jesus. And in all things, whether you eat, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, whether you drink, or whether for 21 days you're not eating as much and not drinking the same things. In all of these things, whatever you do, are you a carpenter? Are you a, are you a mason? Are you an EMT? Are you a stockbroker? Are you a science teacher? Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. There's liberation. There's power. There's stability. If I suffer, if I bleed, if I pastor, if I lead, I live and breathe to bring glory to Jesus. So whether I live or die, all I want is, is him to be glorified. Whether I have 10 more minutes or, or 20 more years, I just want to bring awareness to who Jesus is and how great he is and what he's done for me. And when you see it that way, when you look at it that way, far from being taken out by your hardship, you in your hard times will discover that they are making you stronger. So what's needed? What's needed is that tenacity. What's needed is that spirit that, that says, hold on a second, I'm not gonna get, just keep getting knocked down and getting back up. I'm gonna start knocking some stuff down. I've been given authority. I've been given power. I'm not gonna hide. I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not gonna cower. Nothing that's formed against me can prosper. I've been given the name above every name. My name is written on his hands. My name is on a table setting in heavenly places. I've got power. I've got authority. I can put my foot down. 
in his name and take some ground. I can start knocking some stuff down. In the 1930s, our nation faced something called the Dust Bowl. And during the 10 years of the Dust Bowl, this has been called a period uh, that was the greatest environmental disaster ever faced in this country that was entirely man-made. A man-made environmental disaster. And I could and maybe should preach a whole message on the Dust Bowl. And, and I did, actually. And it's on YouTube. Uh, so I won't go into all that. But, but one thing when I preached that message that I didn't get to talk about was that there was a group of people who resolved to not give up on the area they lived in, the area affected by the Dust Bowl. Now, this was a period where 46 out of 48 states were in the worst drought in our nation's history. There's only 48 states back then because we didn't have Hawaii yet. Otherwise, that would have been a solid place to go during the Dust Bowl. But, but 46 out of 48 states were, were devastated by drought. So a lot of people were leaving to go to other places, finding no work there. Oh, because we were also in the Great Depression. So. There's that. Uh, one out of four Americans were out of work. 50% of African-Americans were out of work. It was, a, it was a devastating time. But there was a group of people, and they said, we made our home here. We made our life here. You know, even though we were a part of what made it difficult to live here, we're not giving up on this area. We're not giving up on the Great Plains. It was once America's breadbasket, and, and perhaps it could rise from the ashes. And when it does, we'll be here. We're not quitting. We're not giving up. And they called themselves the last man club. Last man. People can leave. We're going to be the last one standing. We're not, we're not, we're not getting, we're going to knock some stuff down, not get knocked down. Now, the guy who founded the club ended up leaving. So the story breaks down on some levels. <laughs> but what I loved as I was doing the research in preparation for, for writing the message that I, that I preached and if you, if you want to Google it, you can Google Passion 2020, and the talk I gave is, is there. But uh, they had a slogan that was on the wall at all their meetings. And when I came across it, I was like, bang, root system, bang, sound system, bang. Let me show it to you. This is their slogan, grab a root and growl. We're not going anywhere. We're going to be the last man here. We're not going, how do, how do we have that kind of tenacity? Come on, you got to be rooted. You got to be established. Come on, let's, let's grab a root and growl. Come on, is there a growl inside of you? A holy roar, the sound of God's praise, the anthem of the fame of the name of Jesus in whatever you face, in every dark day. Come on, let's grab a root. 